0: Thanks for listening to Marketing B2B Tech, the podcast from Napier, where you can find out what really works in B2B marketing today. Welcome to Marketing B2B Technology, the podcast from Napier. Today I'm joined by Mark Stoose. Mark is the CEO of Proof Analytics. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Hey, it's great to be
1: here. Thank you so much.
0: So Mark, tell me what happened in terms of your career? How did you end up founding Proof?
1: You know, I, I started out like probably everybody else in, in marketing and, and communications because I used to do that as well, you know, and I was beating my head against this brick wall of the inability of being able to prove the value of what we were doing, right? Where everyone understood that they needed to have marketing and communications, but they saw it more in terms of tactical execution rather than business impact. And so when there was a budget cut, the conversation was always around, well, what activities, what levels of support are we going to lose? It was never about loss of business impact. And this just seemed to me in this very kind of at that time, a very ethereal sort of way, right, to be utter insanity. And so I got to a point where rather than cursing the darkness, I decided to try to strike a match. I mean I I hated math in high school but all of a sudden when I rediscovered it in my late 20s early 30s professionally I I really gravitated to it and so I I started you know with a team I started kind of scaling the heights of this problem and got to a very high level of maturity not in the B2C side which is you know had already done all this long before right But in B2B, I mean, I am probably still one of a handful of B2B CMOs, large company B2B CMOs, who can prove that they connected everything that they were doing and their teams were doing to various types of business impact to the satisfaction of the C-suite and the board, which is the key phrase, right? None of us get to define our own success. Other people do that. And so, you know, I just kept, I kept on going uh, by 2010, I was hired to be the CMO of Honeywell Aerospace by Dave Cody, who was the the CEO of Honeywell International at that time. And, you know, we just uh, incredibly complicated, very long cycle, very uh, business with a lot of time lag in it. And we were able to, to put it all together and, change that part of the world at least, but we, it costs us like eight or $9 million a year. And so it became very obvious that automation was going to be a really important part of the next step. And that's what took us to proof. And so it took us three years to build the platform uh, the way that we felt like it needed to be. And, and we had a lot of early customers, like Intel and Oracle and people like that who were chiming in and saying, "Yeah, I really like that. Really hate that. Don't do that." You know, all that kind of stuff. And so it was. Uh, you know, it, it took a while to get it going, but boy, you know, it's it's been good ever since.
0: And, and that sounds amazing because what you're basically saying is you can tell marketers the impact of what they're doing in terms of the business bottom line. I mean, that's kind of the holy grail for everyone, isn't it?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think that really what it, you know, most people still talk about this in terms of establishing the ROI on stuff they did in the past. And that's certainly part of it. And and regression math will generate those multiplier numbers. That's what they're called technically. But the real deal here is, can you forecast into the future? So this is not prediction. Prediction is a qualitative thing. Forecasting is quantitative right it's calculated it's computed you need to forecast the impact of your investments into different time horizons and then you have to be able to recompute those models over and over and over again on a on a, an appropriate interval that's relevant to your business to say okay you know what the reality is deviating from the forecast why is that right and what do we need to do about it and if this sounds Sort of similar to the way a GPS guides you on a journey, you would be right on, right? That is uh, actually, it's been said by somebody a lot smarter than me that every business decision is essentially a navigation decision. When do I need to make a change? Why do I need to make a change? Uh, What do I need to change? And by how much do I need to change it? And that is that's navigation. And so that's what MMM automated modern marketing mix modeling, that's
0: what it does. I love that GPS analogy. So just tell us a little bit more about the company first. I I mean, you've talked about the uh, MMM product, the marketing mix modeling. You also have another product as well.
1: Yes, uh, MRM, which is uh, marketing resource management, which is, as a category, has been around for a lot longer, and there's some very, very large players, Primo and Allocadia and there's been a lot of consolidation in the space in the last three years. It's historically very expensive. Uh, so, like a you know, if you were to buy, you know, I'm these are general numbers, but if you were to buy 300 seats for a primo, you're probably looking at a million and a half in license fees and another million and a half in implementation costs. So, your total cost year one is not for the faint of heart or the slight of wallet, right? We came along and we said, look, that just doesn't make sense anymore. And then and this was happening before the bottom fell out of the economy, which made it even more relevant. You know, SaaS is supposed to, I don't care what SaaS you're talking about, SaaS is supposed to make things cheaper, not more expensive. Right. And so we came out with a MRM product native on Salesforce, Lightning. We're the only one that's uh, has that. So we have automatic data sync within minutes after you spin up proof MRM, it's automatically syncing with whatever Salesforce clouds you have. This is the tool that this is essentially an ERP for marketing, right? Or for go to market. It's tracking your planning, your budgeting, your approvals, your asset management. It's, it's all that stuff. And it's a very known category. We're just disrupting the heck out of it both from a product point of view and a pricing point of view
0: that's amazing i i mean how do you get down to such a low price when your competitors you say are, are many times more expensive what have you done that's different
1: well i think that that you have to look at price i mean there's a there's a huge reason why price is one of the four p's of marketing right and this is a This is something that a B2C marketer totally gets and deals with every day. But most B2B marketing teams don't even touch pricing. So they're trying to constantly sell value. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's really, that's part of the equation. That's really important, right? But, you know, I can remember when I was 16, getting my first car and I had to buy my own car. And I really wanted this BMW 3 Series and there was actually one available for low dollars relatively speaking and i and i told my dad about it and he goes well you know it's it's not a deal unless you can afford it right and it was a that was a really tough point and and the same applies today to enterprise software right you can you can have great value it can be totally worth it from a value standpoint and if you can't stroke the check to buy it, it's not happening, right? So you have to price based on where the market is, the reality of the market, risk factors. I mean, SaaS customers have never been more risk averse than they are today. And that goes back probably three years now. They're dispensing more procurement teams are saying, I'm not doing annual contracts prepaid, right? I want an annual contract that's payable either monthly or quarterly, and I want to be able to get out at any time, right? I mean, these are major shifts in the SaaS universe that you have to deal with. And so we decided, uh, I, actually, I had a great opportunity to talk to Michael Dell about it. And he's like, man, he goes, you know, you want to be as disruptive as possible right now, right, with your pricing. And so We had the ability from a cost basis point of view, which actually exists in most software companies anyway, to go real low, right? And so essentially, I mean, I don't think I'm being unduly transparent here when I say this, MRM is our volume. It's our, it's our, it generates our, the volume of seats, the volume of revenue, all this kind of stuff. The margin is not as high, Okay we get our margin out of mmm
0: and typically people would want both right they'd want the the mrm to do their their planning and then the mmm to actually model what's going to work and what's not not going to work is that that really how people use the products
1: yeah no that 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 is an accurate statement although i would say that typically they come in that you know their first purchase is mrm <laughs> it's a very straightforward let's call it transactional sale right um there's not a lot of implementation pain and suffering attached to it uh unless unless of course you know we do have some customers that insist on massive amounts of customization and that's a different category altogether right but the the main customer the main customer type that we have in large enterprise down through the upper end of the mid-range right is is going to be hey We want to buy it. We're going to use it initially, at least for the first year, straight out of the box, right? We want 300 seats, da 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 da. Maybe a little bit of services for six months. Go on down the road, right? And then we'll talk later if we need more customization or something, right? So basically, they they implement MRM. They get solid with that, but you know our MMM is is fully integrated into that, and so at some point they feel at a at the right level of maturity or they're getting pressure from inside or you know whatever right and they activate the mmm portion of it which makes it completes the loop right i mean so what salesforce says about proof is that we're the only fully closed loop marketing analytics offering in you know around today right which is not actually true right uh, there are some others we have competitors but I think we are the best. And we, and particularly if you are a Salesforce customer already, right? I mean, there's just no reason to go anywhere
0: else. No, uh, absolutely. And that, that's such a good endorsement from Salesforce. So let, let's let step back a bit. And, and for people who maybe don't fully understand, and, and maybe I don't as well, not having worked in a huge marketing organization, can you just explain what MMM is, what the process of using it is, and how it Helps you plan more effectively.
1: Sure, I mean, MMM is nothing but the application of multivariable regression math. So this is the same math that's used to answer about eighty-five percent of the world's questions. You know, if if you look at the science behind climate change, if you look at the science behind epidemiology, you look at—I mean, you, you know—you just run through all of these major things, right? The analytics are, are fundamentally rooted in two things, multivariable regression, and then machine learning to establish patterns, right? Repeating patterns. And so, and they're very complementary. They work together, right? So we have automated the regression part, which is the only way. And this is one of the laws of gravity here. You know, if you don't like it, I'm really sorry. It's not my rule. Right. It, 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 regression is the only way to get to causality. The only way, period. Right. And so that's what we've automated. And so essentially the way it all starts, if we kind of frame this through the way we onboard a customer, we sit down with them and we say, okay, what are your top 20, top 50 questions, whatever it happens to be that you really need answers to, right? To support decisions that you're having to make on a regular basis usually formulating that list is not hard for people right it's uh particularly you know one of the groups that we talk to is we talk to the c-suite about marketing and so we get all of their questions and these questions are now extremely predictable right i mean like seriously there's like we actually have codified the 50 most common questions, right? About marketing and marketing impact in, on go-to-market, right? The overall go-to-market sequence. So we, uh, we, we start there. Each one of those has parameters to the question, right? Because of the way the question is being asked, it starts to suggest the different factors that are important to that. And so we, we list that. We start to create a model framework or, you know, we are assisting in some cases the customer to do it themselves. And then those model frameworks become models when they are armed with the right kinds of data. We we have brought Agile as a methodology into the analytics and into the modeling process because Historically, the way that analytics teams have approached this is to create a giant mega model that's designed to pretty much explain everything uh, in one model. And it's just not the way life actually operates. It's very, very hard to communicate that with the business uh, leaders that need to get value from it. So we exploded it and use, you know, we we created uh, the idea of a minimum viable model, which is something that's now gone really viral and mainstream in the data science community. It allows you to spin up a very focused, targeted model, you know, work on it in a very discrete, very tight way with whoever the business leader is that's supposed to benefit. Get to a point, you know, like in say a week or two where that business leader is saying, yeah, you know what? That answers my question. That gives me real value. That helps me out big time. At that point, it goes, the model goes into production. And what that means is it starts to get hooked up to automatic data flows, APIs, right? At which point it becomes largely autonomous. It's automatically recalculating that model every time new data is presented to the model. So this is why this system actually does literally work like a GPS because you are throwing out a forecast, right? So this would be in GPS terms, this would be your route to your destination, right? And then as as you move forward and you have to adjust and bad things happen or good things happen that get in the way or, you know, they either hinder what you're trying to accomplish, or they make it even more effective. Um, you're having to make changes, right? Just like you're being ultimately like going back to the GPS. The GPS is saying, hey, tons of traffic ahead. If you stay on this route, it's going to totally suck. You're going to be an hour late, right? To dinner or whatever. But if we reroute you, if you go right, left, right, left, right? You'll only be 10 minutes late. and It'll all be good, right? And that is, I mean, one, one CMO recently, actually I guess it was earlier this year. So not all that recent, but he said, you know, the thing I really love about proof is that I'm never really wrong. And I kind of, I kind of like, didn't know quite what to do with that. Right. And then all of a sudden it clicked. Right. And it's just like with a GPS on your phone, you're never not getting there you always ultimately get to your destination. It's changing the way you get to your destination. Whereas if you were using an old fashioned map that was printed 10 years before, right. You, you could very easily actually be wrong, right. You could fail to arrive. Right. And, uh, and I guess probably all of us of a certain age have actually experienced that. Right. so, That's really what he meant, uh, is that the GPS means you're never wrong. also means, and if you're a guy, you really understand this, you never have to ask for directions, which is something that men, for whatever reason, really hate to do. Uh, It's a universal construct, right? And GPS made it possible so that we never have to do that anymore.
0: And presumably, because you've got this model, you don't just need—you don't just have to feed it real values. You can create scenarios um, yes. where, you know, maybe you, you change your marketing mix, and you're almost saying, "Well, if I did this, where will I end up?" Is that—is that kind of the way it works?
1: That is exactly how it works. In fact, that is the single most popular part of the tool, right? Because when things start to change, and that shows up. In, in the way that everything is represented to the user. So it's very intuitive in that sense. Then how do you know how to reroute? Right? What is what are your options? <clears throat> you're gonna you're gonna have to respond and experiment with different scenarios to get back on track. And the, you know, with every model and every model has its own screen, right? For you to do this, you can play around and you can say, okay, this is the best choice. I mean, like one of the things that I loved, I mean, we were doing it the old fashioned way. This is pre-proof, but it, at Honeywell, we would be sitting in a meeting with finance and the CFO who was a big believer in all of this would say, you know, so what would happen if we gave you an additional $20 million to spend in the back half of the year, right? How, would, what would that look like in terms of impact, time to impact, all this kind of stuff? And we could say, okay, we're going to take that money and we are going because you have to make certain assumptions uh, on something like that. We're going to assume that it will be allocated according to the current allocations in the system. And and then we would run the model right there in the meeting. Right. And it would show what would happen. Right. Now, what was really interesting is that there's, you know, what you're really trying to do is you're trying to optimize spend in light of results. And the results are often time lagged well into the future. So all of that has to be computed and it all has to kind of be packaged into a single answer like that. And what that means too, is that when you're optimized, that can also mean that you are past the point of diminishing returns. So it can mean actually, if we continue spending more and more and more money in this particular area, the amount of goodness we're going to get back is is not worth it. We kind of have maxed it out under the current market situation, and so don't spend any more money in that area right now because you won't get any additional value. the The really the really super compelling uh, scenario is when. It shows that you're low on the S curve, low on the optimization curve, Mm -hmm. but you're killing it at that point. So that means if they spend more money, they're going to get even more good stuff up to a point, right? And so if you're a business and you can afford to do it, so this is where affordability is always part of the equation. But if you can afford to do it, you would be insane not to do it. Particularly since you have analytics, that are totally governing it, right? So it's never gonna not be transparent what's happening. So this is really where it is. And I think that five years from now, particularly if if the what happens in the macro continues to get really rugged for two or three years, this is gonna be the only way that people do it, right? Because it, it is actually the only mathematically viable
0: way. I'm really interested by by the fact you say it's, it's the only way people can do it because we still have a bit of that madman, you know, kind of mentality in marketing where people want to go for what they like and what they feel should work rather than necessarily trusting the maths. So do you think the push towards um, a more analytic approach is going to come from marketing or is it going to come from the C-suite demanding, you know, more predictability and more value from marketing?
1: Uh, I think I think right now, at least, it's overwhelmingly um, the, the latter. It's coming from the C-suite mm-hmm. who are just basically saying, "Not doing this anymore." You know, we were talking about before we started, right? If you look at the Martech stack in the average company, this is all about economies of scale. This is all about being able to do more, touch customers more, all that kind of stuff, right? But there's no governance. There's no, it's the headless horseman, right? It's, it's, there's no uh, economies of learning being applied to the economies of scale. And the, the, the prima facie evidence for this is when, when MarTech, particularly marketing automation and things like that, really took hold, most marketers just went crazy with it. And the law of unintended consequences has bit them right? Because you have GDPR, you have California doing its thing. All these laws are getting more, they're getting tighter and tighter and tighter they're not softening at all. And by not being able to calibrate and govern what they were doing, they actually killed the goose that laid the golden egg, right? They didn't do it intentionally, right? But they still did it. And so, This is about saying, you know what, there has to be a brain, there has to be a way. And I'm not I'm not saying that marketers are not a brain, but let's just look at real life science here for a second. The unaided human brain can't process more than three or four variables at a given time. And if one of them is one or more of them is extensively time lagged in its relationship to effects. Right. You're screwed you're just totally screwed. You are the human brain is not going to be able to intuit its way to the truth. So you have to have math. And the, and if we look at B to B go to market, we're talking about every model has fifty factors in it, thereabouts, more or less. Two thirds of which represent things you don't control. It's the wave that you're trying to surf in the model, right? That's two thirds of the model. So, I mean, I, and I, I, you know, I just, honestly, what I say to most people is, which seems to be resonate very clearly with everybody is if you look at your bets in 2019, 2020, 2021, and 2022, if you basically made the same bet every year for those four years, you are way out. Even, even if they were all killing it in 2019, in 2020, in 2021, they were like tanking, right? Field marketing is a great example of this, but there are many others, right? And then you look at what's working today versus a year ago at this time. It's totally different as well. And so how are you going to keep up with that you, short of using an analytic And remember, it's not just a data thing. Data is critical, but data is like crude oil. If you try and put crude oil into your car to run it, you will have destroyed your engine, right? It has to be refined into something that can be combusted in your car and add value to you, right? Analytics is the refinery for data. It is the thing that generates the final output that has meaning. Why is that? Because data by itself is only about the past. And it has no ability to forecast anything by itself, right? And we live in a multivariable world. that's all about the relationships between things, not about single measurements of different things. So this is all like, I mean, this is not... I mean, obviously, I'm you know I, I'm the CEO of Proof and I want you to buy great stuff from Proof, right? But this, what I'm saying right now, transcends anybody's product. It's just fact, right? It's like a law of gravity you and you can't change it. It is what it is.
0: I'm fascinated about what this change is going to do to marketing. I mean, if, if you were talking to a young person today, thinking about a marketing career, I mean, do you think that the ability to use this data is going to make marketing a more exciting and interesting career? Or do you think actually marketers are going to be governed by the data and have less influence? I mean, where do you think things are going?
1: So uh, the real, I think the, a, a real answer to that question is that uh, unfortunately all of us as human beings, we tend to uh, be people of extremes before we hit a, a point of balance. So, Marketing, for as long as I've been a marketer, has been skewed creatively. A lot of B2B marketers believe that we've already put too much science into it just because there's a MarTech stack, which is sort of scary. I mean, to be really honest, because it's there's no science in it at all yet. So I think that what will happen, largely because of what is kind of the mindset of a lot of C-suites that I meet with, is that they're going to swing the pendulum hard in the other direction. And so creativity will be redefined as problem solving. You're going to have to be able to prove it with the numbers. Now, what I also really believe and really know, uh, cause it's throughout history that this has been proven over and over and over again, is that creativity in the way that marketers define that term only gets better and better and better with more and more and more information. I mean, can we think of somebody who's more creative? Again, using the marketing definition of creativity, more creative than Leonardo da Vinci? Probably not, right? And yet, why was he so creative? It's because he knew so much about so many different things, and he would cross-pollinate And he would bring data into art. He would bring math into art, right? And make the art better, make it more compelling, right? Make it more beautiful. So, and that and that's a you read the the latest biography of Leonardo, that is talked about explicitly as they translate his own diaries, right? He's talking about it, which is really surreal, right? When you when you think about how long ago he lived. Actually, the same is true for Aristotle. Aristotle also talked about this, and that's even further back, right? But it's, it's when you read what they're talking about, it reads just like today. Another kind of example of this real fast, right, is that there's a lot of tension between marketers and business people, right? Same kind of tension actually exists between business people and data scientists. They define things differently. If you look at the letters between Leonardo da Vinci and Medici his patron it is surreal it really is to see them having the same arguments right that that we're all so familiar with today right i mean Medici's basically going look man i'm at, i'm at war with venice and i need those war machines that i hired you to build for me otherwise i'm going to lose if you do that i'll buy so much marble for your sculptures that you won't ever be able to use it all okay but damn it can we please focus on what's really important right here first i mean you you just kind of sit here and go wow you know human nature hasn't changed at all
0: i i love that and i think it's actually a really optimistic point to, to end the discussion on. is that we can all be leonardo and make our marketing you know a little bit more beautiful i i think that's a, a great thought is there anything you feel mark we should have covered in the discussion that we haven't
1: no i think it's been awesome you know i mean there's so many different things about this topic to discuss that you can't possibly do it in one podcast right but i just i do think it's very hopeful right i mean it, you know and and let me just also say this to kind of pile hope upon hope right Because there's that old saying that hope is not a strategy, but let me tell you, hope is really super important, okay? So most marketers are scared of analytics because they are scared that it will prove them wrong, that it will mean that marketing really isn't as important to the business as they've always been saying. I can tell you categorically that the analytics do not agree with that assessment. Marketing was created, modern marketing, was created as a multiplier, a non-linear, time-lagged, asynchronous multiplier of the rest of the business, which is largely linear. Sales is linear, right? What do I mean by that? If you get a bigger sales quota, if you're CRO and you get a bigger sales quota, how are you going to meet that quota? Well, you're going to hire more sales guys because you know that every single sales guy or most of them will hit their quota, right? And it will all add up, right? But that's not how marketing works. Marketing is a multiplier. Marketing is getting huge leverage across time and space. The mission of marketing is to help sales sell more stuff to more customers, that's revenue, faster, that's cash flow impact, and more profitably, that's margin, than sales could do by itself. That's the whole ball of wax right there. And so if you can prove that in the math, and you will, because if you're running a competently run, solid marketing effort, then you're generating these multipliers, including brand. Brand is a huge multiplier on stuff that really matters. It's not ethereal at all. Anybody who said that brand is soft, you can't measure it, can't understand it. It's all kind of like metaphysical and all that literally doesn't know what they're talking about. So this is all really, really great stuff for marketing. If marketers will grab a hold of this math this approach, whether it's you buy proof or you buy somebody else's product, right, really doesn't matter from that standpoint, right? You will be more successful and you will have a better career and you will enjoy yourself exponentially more than you currently are. You have the best damn job in any company except for one thing, and that is you can't prove your impact. And so you get sucked into these really debilitating conversations with the business that end up in budget cuts and recriminations and arguments and all this kind of stuff. And psychically it's just terrible. Right? So let's fix that, right? Let's stop doing this crazy shit that we've been doing and let's use the math that's been there to solve the problem and it'll all be good. Trust me. It really will.
0: That's, Such a positive way to end. I love that, Mark. I mean, just one last question. You know, if people want to follow up this interview or find out more about Proof Analytics, how can they get hold of you?
1: So I'm, you know, my big channel is LinkedIn. So I'm very easy to find on LinkedIn. That that would be choice number one. Uh, DM me on Twitter. Uh, That's another good one. I'm still there. I'm kind of weighing it back and forth right now, but I'm still there. And then, you know, our URL on the website is proofanalytics.ai. Don't try and email me. It's like, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm 56, but I kind of operate like a 26 or 27 year old, right? I don't really use email very much anymore. So you're you're going to get almost immediate responses from me on LinkedIn mail and, uh, and we'll go
0: from there that's awesome mark it's been a great discussion thank you so much for being on the podcast
1: hey thank you for having me really enjoyed it
0: thanks so much for listening to marketing b2b tech we hope you enjoyed the episode and if you did please make sure you subscribe on itunes or on your favorite podcast application if you'd like to know more please visit our website at napierb2b.com or contact me directly on LinkedIn.